Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. College football is headed into its final month, basketball has started, football's in full swing, and the World Series is starting this week. BetOnline has you covered with all of the odds, props, promos, and parlays. And if you use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, you can get a 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome everybody. It is October 28th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is, that you may be listening. We have got the wonderful Joe Camo back on the show here today. Walter, Mitchell, and I all are getting together once again for another Power Hour where we dive into the social sciences of the universe. Joe is a sociology professor. I have dabbled in sociology and social science and psychology a bit in college. Walter is a teacher of 35 years, and we kind of dive into some of the the social science aspects of sports that I happen to find so interesting as the sports reflect society. And that's one of the conversations we're going to have today as we dabble into the universes of media and journalism and sports and music and film. We have all kinds of conversations coming at you today based on the topic that Joe Camo proposed, which I think you guys uh, will find interesting, especially because you happen to support this fine podcast here. And perhaps you also support Walter and I over on the Red Rain podcast and support Joe Camo by following his YouTube channel where he covers the Arizona Cardinals. And maybe you follow his music career. For Who knows? Maybe you're, you're dabbling in some of that as well. If you're supporting the people of this show, then you know that you happen to be a supporter of I guess what we would call independent media, shall we say, or people without credentialed media, which is the topic of conversation that is going to come up here today on this wonderful Walter Mitchell and Joe Camo Power Hour to swing us into a weekend with a, another incredibly fun conversation whenever we can link up these two people together on a show. I haven't talked to you about it, but how do you stand on everything with the Cardinals so far? And uh... <sighs> it's it's been a frustrating <laughs> season. Um, this you know, winning against you know the Saints are a great team, but winning in a game where our offense put up twenty eight points and then you know our defense put up some points was was something they really needed. Um, 
I mean, the team has been a second half. They've played well in the second half. They they have not been able to get their offense going in the first half. So it's that's been rough. Um, you know, I think. I mean, fans are kind of have been down on them. You know, the, the way things ended last season, then they start out this season really slow. Um, I'm trying to take though, kind of a a broader perspective. If you look around the league, everyone you know feels like there's three good teams, three really bad teams, and a whole bunch of three and four teams. So, um, and you know, there's been some shifts in how defenses play. Everyone's talking about how they're doing more cover two and more shell defense. Uh, you know, and that's making it harder for down the field plays. Um, mm-hmm. Defenses are making teams kind of hit the underneath stuff. And it, I didn't know the Cardinals offense really banked on those big plays in the past. So I feel like they've struggled to adjust to that. And then with D hop being out, they, you know, missed him. So uh, I, I feel like they, I feel like the, those shifts in defenses that the way the defense is playing this year have been particularly hard on, a Cardinals offense that likes to make those big plays. Um, but I'm hopeful that having D hop back that we're going to be trending in the right direction. So, Well, that's a good perspective to take on it because you're right. That offense is at its second lowest total for the entire league in the last 20 years. Which right. The, which the, the part I found so fascinating is like, yeah, everyone realized last year, oh, if you take away too high safety on Mahomes, you can kind of beat him a little bit. And then everyone's yeah. like, what if we tried this with everyone else? And it right. kind of works. What and, do you know? Uh, except for yeah. Josh Allen, apparently. But Yeah, except uh, for Buffalo, who's just yeah. totally overwhelming and the only team in the league we know is great, other than Kansas City, who's yeah. clearly a tier a little bit below Buffalo even, which is weird to say for the first time. And I, I saw I mean, I was thinking. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh, I just I said I saw a tweet that summed it up this year. It was uh, by a guy who from I think the, who, something Nor- John Norris or Jack, somebody, something Norris who does underdog sports. I think, I think he sent this tweet out. He said, uh, "Name six good NFL teams." <laughs> I can give you four and a half. <laughs> right? You know, it's Buffalo, <laughs> I, and Kansas City, right? Philadelphia. Yep. Buffalo, Kansas City, uh, Philadelphia. I'm I'm almost certain Baltimore is good. I'm almost certain Baltimore is good, and then maybe the record isn't up there, but it's. I think the team is good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah Minnesota by virtue of their record, even though they've not played many good teams, I have to give them. You know, they won the games, so I'll put Minnesota there. Even yeah, my, so my half, my four and a half, my half team is San Francisco because okay. everything I see about them is like this team should be the second best in the NFC, and also they just have so many injuries, and they right. just—they're the one team where the injuries somehow don't matter because they just keep, they just keep like auto-generating new Pro Bowlers, and then they go yeah. down, and then they <laughs> auto-generate Pro Bowlers. Hey, let's let's get a uh, running back, undrafted free agent, rookie free agent, and. Have them run for fourteen hundred yards. It's just this, yeah. The, even the score. I, I forgot the name of the safety for them, but their safety who is like a fourth round rookie is going to make the Pro Bowl. I just every time I just can't believe it. Yeah. Uh, Walter, are you there? Morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Walter. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? I'm all right. You know, hanging in there. <clears throat> We're just pontificating on. Um, are you know good like how the parody in the NFL? And I saw a tweet that's like asked, name six good NFL teams, you know, and it's 
it, it, it's kind of hard to kind of figure that out. Buffalo, right? Kansas right. City for sure. Um, I think Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, and then there's like two teams that by their record, you I guess you have to include them: the Giants and the Vikings. Even though a lot, you know, the, the, there's this: are they paper tigers? The Jets are five and two, so I guess the Jets. Yeah, but, yeah, they're playing great. Yeah. If Baltimore were to play the Jets tomorrow, I feel like they'd be seven-point favorites. <laughs> right. Weird right. part about it. I, I, the Seahawks are favored against the Giants this weekend. The Giants oh. are six and one. Aren't the Seahawks? The, I mean, the Giants are improbable, but that but that division is you know had been down. Although they're better this year, I, the Seahawks. With, I mean. I guess you know, like with Phil, with the Giants, with a new coach coming in, Brian Dable, and what he had done in Buffalo, you'd expect the team, the potential for that team to kind of, you know, start out hot. Because sometimes when you find that really good coach, they come in, they fix some things, and teams, you know, just start out really well. Uh, but like Seattle, with you know the one of the longest, if not the longest, tenured coaches in the NFL. Uh, who people were really down on Pete Carroll, think he was out of touch and, you know, whatever. And Geno Smith is your quarterback. And, you know, they're leading the division right now. It's, to me, that's the craziest one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the Chiefs are probably going to be in the Super Bowl again. <laughs> right. If not I the mean, Bills, you know, it's going to come I was going to say, this is the first year I feel like Buffalo's the better team. It's the first time in the four years of Josh Allen. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I think they're better defensively. But uh, Mahomes is coming on, and, you know, they don't seem to miss Tyreek Hill all that much. Yeah, and I I am of the belief also in in making my list that that Baltimore will beat anyone in the AFC except Buffalo and Kansas City. I am of the opinion of that on Baltimore. They will get to the second round of the playoffs. By by beating everyone except Baltimore and Kansas City, so I'm you know, I'm big on Baltimore this year. So that would be my fourth team on the list of name six great teams. I said four and a half with Baltimore <laughs> and San Francisco being the half team. That would be my rounding out yeah. my name six teams. I can give you four and a half. <laughs> Baltimore's in every game, but they can't seem to put teams away. Yeah, yeah. to me, Baltimore's. One of those high floor franchises. They've got a good coach, they've got a good front office, and a good system for team building, and they always have a team that's going to be competitive. They're off year; they might win seven or eight games, uh, but most years they're going to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm really psyched about today's podcast. Yeah, I think it's a great subject, and I'm really anxious to hear your thoughts about it and contribute mine yeah well i'm this is a running recording so i'll just figure out where to start probably somewhere in the middle of that four and a half teams conversation but but joe this is your topic so i'll have you introduce it and have the first word on this because i think you you did a great job of explaining it to myself and walter for uh bringing it up here on the, the walter mitchell joe camo take it easy podcast power hour but you know, you know, with us, it's a power two hours, right? Yes, because that's yeah. how we roll. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, uh, Kyle, you know, uh, reached out to me, said, "Hey, you know, want to jump on again?" Because we always have a great conversation. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you, you two uh, astute gentlemen. Uh, and I was like, "Yeah, you know," and 
I've got, if you need a topic, I've got this idea that just something that kind of been hanging with me. And so, yeah, tell me about it. So I told, you know, I sent you the info. Um, so there's a tweet that went around uh, last week. Um, and it was a clip of uh, a conversation that occurred on a podcast um, on if, if you're familiar with the Locked On Network, it's a network of podcasts that covers, you know, all the major sports teams. And they have they usually have local media members who, you know, host for the, the, the teams. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, there's a clip from the podcast that covers the Golden State Warriors. And uh, the two gentlemen in that clip were discussing um, they got a little off, uh, you know, sports topic directly. And they were talking about sports media and. Um, the one gentleman who's sort of the lead, leading this conversation, leading the march into elitism, um, kind of said to the something to the effect of, "I don't know why anyone would get their information from, or even choose to be entertained by um, some podcast by non-credentialed media members. They're just fanboys doing a podcast. I'm paraphrasing, but if you right. watch it." I, I am not far off from the the the, no. the the words or the sentiment or the tone. Uh, <clears throat> you know, they they have if they're not an insider, if they're not, or if they're not if they're not a credential media member, they don't they haven't talked to anyone. They don't have any insights. And it, anyway, and the person on the other the other his his co-hosts, you know, tried to hedge it a little bit, like, well, you know. I know, I know someone who does one of these podcasts and if they say we're, Hey, we're fans and that's fine. But if they're just, you know, but then he kind of goes in with their, well, but they're just two guys pontificating. Yeah. So just, you know, the, obviously that struck uh, a note with me uh, because, you know, I, I am a non credentialed person in terms of media. I'd have no media credentials. I don't have any contacts uh, in the NFL or with the Arizona Cardinals. I'm just a dude who started a YouTube channel because I've been an Arizona Cardinals fan for a long time. Um, you know, and I've, and it's been something I've really enjoyed doing and it's allowed me to meet, meet wonderful folks like you. And I, you both are also, as far as I know, non-credentialed in terms of media, but both create content. And, you know, we, the, between the three of us, we cover three kind of big areas of content, podcasting, YouTube, and like, and, and the written word and sort of uh, blog uh, kind of or team coverage sort of sites, so we're all kind of in this space, and in a sense, are all sort of the people he's talking about in a sense, right? You know, and obviously this came across as elitist, uh, gatekeeping, um, and yep. you know, there's there's a lot more we can say about it. I did I, I did a little poking around and researching, and, and the guy who sort of led the charge in this conversation. Is a, he? He is a. He has a. From what I could tell, he has a master's degree in journalism, and he is a journalism professor at a community college. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into that. So anyway, that's kind of this whole setup. And obviously, he got panned on Twitter. Is I think they got panned on Twitter for this conversation. As I think they deserve too. I think it's problematic yep. in a lot of ways. Uh, I've got more thoughts, but I'll I'll shut up and let you all kind of jump in. And and uh, now that we've sort of set the table to talk about. Uh, this sort of gatekeeping, the media landscape, credentialed versus non-credentialed, big networks versus independent content creators, and, and everything in between. Well, this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart because uh, many moons ago, uh, over, well over 20 years ago, I was uh, writing 
um, daily blogs and articles for ArizonaSportsFans.com, which is where I got my start writing articles. Um, and the editor and and uh, leader there was a guy named Jim Skein. His uh, profile name was Scorp with two Ks, Scorpion. Um, and this guy was one of the funniest, most um, intuitive, compelling writers I've ever um, seen, um, you know, writing about Cardinals content. And um, he was so great to me. I mean, we had kind of a ruthless board there. I mean, some of the fans were really tough. I mean, I, there was this one fan named Joe Schmo. Every article I wrote, he tore apart like three or four points and, um, you know, at length said why they're wrong. And, you know, it really challenged me. And, you know, never once did he say, you know, well, you make a good point here or this. It was just all whatever. So I asked him one day, I said, how come, you know, is there anything I ever say? He goes, oh, yeah, if I don't critique it, it means I agree with you. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. You know, so every time I wrote something, I was asking Scorp about this, Jim Skane, and he was like, listen, Walter, it's, it, you know, the, some guys are going to be the way they are, and you got to, he really mentored me through some rough patches because it can be wild and woolly and crazy out there, you know, as, as you know, too, Joe and Kyle. I mean, you know this. Here's the thing was that Jim Skane towards the end was, was his health was deteriorating. He was in a relegated to a wheelchair. Um, you know, he sort of knew his time was nigh and, uh, you know, we were all, I mean, I was just really, um, broken about it. I mean, I didn't know what I could do with, without him. And, you know, I'd become very, very attached to him in our relationship. And, and, um, when he passed away, I remember so distinctly um, sitting at my computer just weeping. Um, and uh, for a man I'd never met across the, the country who was so good to me in so many ways and was so knowledgeable about the Cardinals and their history and had such a background. And um, incredibly, within a few hours of of us lamenting and grieving um, Scorp's passing on uh, Arizona sports fans, word came in that one of the Cardinals beat writers wrote about Jim Skane that, you know, well, the guy thought he was, you know, he deserved credentials as a media guy, but, but, you know, he didn't have the credentials. I mean, this is, you know, hours after this our our guy had passed away and to this day i will not read any article from this beat writer of the cardinals it was just so unbelievably egregious at that moment and i know many of us on the board were just enraged you know at that comment he's he said he would show up at press conferences and without press you know credentials and, um, you know, and here he was 
running, which at the time I think was the most popular blogging site for the Arizona Cardinals in, in the Valley. And I mean, we had thousands of members and fans, you know? So, you know, it's, there is that kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, perspective from credentialed folks like those guys on Locked On for the Warriors that media, you know, that that anyone without media credentials doesn't deserve um, to be to have their own, you know, websites and and podcasts and blogging sites and this and that. But here's one quick thing, and I'll, I'm going to pass it over, but to you guys again. But one quick thing. One advantage that the three of us have and that, you know, people who are non-credentialed, who are fans like we are. And I always say that when people say, oh, you're, you know, what kind of journalist are you? I say, well, I'm really a fan. That's what I am. And, uh, you know, I, I am also a writer, but, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself necessarily a journalist. I'm a fan first and will always be a fan first is that, I mean, what's really interesting about this is that, is that um, we as fans have the prerogative and the wherewithal to be as critical as we want. I mean, the people who are employed by the Arizona Cardinals can't do that. So in many ways, the, the kind of provocative opinions that we can supply to a hungry fan base works to our advantage. And, um, you know, I mean, we, and I think within good, good reason, we have, you know, we're fans, so we're going to emote like fans. And I think it does give people like us a bit of an advantage. And if we're, if we're good at it, like you, Joe, um, how many subscribers do you have now? Um, I'm, over 3100 3, I think a year and Jeez. a half so and you've been at this how long year and a half look look at that I mean there's a market for this and people the average fan doesn't give a crap who has mm -hmm. credentials they just want the meat you know and um, they just want the discussion points plus Joe all this you know the live stuff that you do is awesome you know fans Thank come you. in and you really engage the fans in ways that a lot of these writers never do. And these, you know, they don't even involve the fans. It's almost like they don't even, aren't even aware of their own audiences. So yeah, yeah I'm going to pass it back to you, but that's when I well, heard I the subject, I thought immediately of Jim Skane and yeah, God rest that, his soul. Yeah. Yeah. That that's horrible that someone would say something like that. I mean, on some, you know, on the, the eve of someone's passing, um, you bring up a really good point about, about the audience. Um, and um, it, the, one of the things about sort of, you know, what I call the con and not just me, other people call the content creator space, um, you know, people on YouTube and, and, and other me mediums. Um, I, one of the things I've observed is the, there's a lot of fans are drawn to smaller kind of independent content creators for the reasons that you express you know, Walter, that um, one that we can give our takes or opinions 
based on what we see and think, whether right, wrong, or otherwise, but that we don't have to deal with sort of, you know, the, the influences of our employer, right? Right. Uh, uh, whether it be the team or, you know, a newspaper or a, a radio station that is going to have certain, you know, boundaries or guardrails on what they want you to talk about or not talk about and are going to be heavily influenced on, you know, um, getting, you know, listeners and viewers and clicks and, and, you know, content creators like me, you know, obviously views matter. And I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to think about how, you know, my content in terms of, uh, is it something that people are going to want to watch and right. listen to? Um, but I can, I, I still don't have to worry about someone else telling me, Hey, let's not talk about that. You know, right. I can choose and I, I can tag, I get to take the risks of what I want to talk about and, and how I want to approach it. And some of the directions I go and things I want to talk about may not get as many views as others, but I can make that content because it's what I want to talk about. So that authenticity and the ability to, you know, sort of that unfiltered, what, and you know, not that my stuff is all that out there, but that I, I, I can choose to have the takes I want. But the other thing you talked about was that connection with the audience. Um, and, you know, as I've tried to kind of grow, you know, my platform and the YouTube channel, I, I've really been intentional about learning what it takes to build a YouTube channel. I, you know, I watch tons of videos, read a lot about how to do this, listen to people who've done it, talk about how to be successful. And one of the things I learned very early on is that if you want to build, you know, a platform, a YouTube channel, what you really have to do is build a community. Um, and I've been intentional about that. And, you know, and, you know, I do live streams every week and my live streams uh, on YouTube, there's, there's a chat. And like, I make a point that um, I try to engage with as many of the comments that are posted yes. in there from the audience as possible. Yeah. You know, I, if possible, I try to get at least one comment from each person in the chat. If, so if, the, if it's a big enough audience, it's hard to do that, but I, I make sure and engage, you know, with, with that. I have a discord server where, you know, Arizona Cardinals fans come hang out. There's like 140, 150 people in there. Um, and every day there's folks in there talking about the Arizona Cardinals. It's just like a chat room of Cardinals fans and I'm active in there. Um, so I've been like, I, I, I've understood that the, it's really important that I'm not just throwing content out there like from on high or whatever the heck, you know, and, but that I'm actually building a community of folks who love the Cardinals want to engage and hang out with other people who love the Cardinals. And I have the pleasure and the joy and the privilege of being part of that. <clears throat> um, right. And, and I think that's one of the things that has helped, you know, me to have the small amount of success with the channel I've had is that I, I understand that, that relationship with, with the community that you build and, you know, a lot of media members, you know, they have a job uh, writing for or speaking for a radio station or whatever they're doing. And, you know, they build an audience, but um, not all of them are, you know, there are some who do, but, to, you know, they don't, I don't think they lean into that community the same way that an independent content creator has to. Like if you get a job on, on a sports radio network, uh, you have an audience sort of built in and you, you know, if you do good content, you can grow that audience, but there's already an embedded audience. When I started a YouTube channel, <clears throat> you know, a year and a half ago, no one knows who I am. Right. I have to build an audience from scratch. Correct. You know, so there's a different thing you have to do. So, but yeah, I think, I think that engagement with the community is people 
like people, humans are humans and humans want to connect with humans. And one of the reasons people are, incre are increasingly turning to smaller independent content creators like, like us is also part because like they, they can have like connection and access, right? Like, like if you each, if you, if you love some person on ESPN, you might get lucky one day and they res they respond to one of your tweets. Right. And that's, that's rare and few and far between, but like, if you find a content creator who covers your team and you go to their live streams like or or what have you or comment on their on their articles like like on yours that person there's a good chance if if they know what they're doing they're going to respond you know and you're going to get to have an actual engagement and folks who are part of the community around my channel like there's recurring there's a there's a conversation a dialogue not right. just random oh i happen to respond to a tweet there's like ongoing conversations and and i think the human side of things people love that and that's part of the reason people you know are drawn to independent content creators is that that sort yeah. of accessibility yeah, yeah we're like the au pairs <laughs> who are with the kids more and the parents become astonished why are they loving the au pair more than right us. exactly you know because we're in there rolling up our sleeves and and you know interacting it's astonishing to me how uh and and how threatened too media people are with credentials are of fans and how condescending they are of fans i mean you know one of the things that i try to honor is you know pay respect to everyone you know let people vent kind of like cliff for kyler <laughs> let people vent you know give them their voice and then let's talk about this you know and you know not in the business of pushing pe people away or you know being exclusive we want to be inclusive in what we do like you said joe building an audience well to build an audience it requires some you know interaction and right. uh you know i mean every now and then we get you know a bone thrown our way which is really wonderful like um ron wolfley's been really nice to me uh you know when i've called in um you know he's still astonished that a cardinals fan could live in foxborough <laughs> right <laughs> you know and he's always and a call I'll from foxborough say, you know um, in terms of access, Walter, you were the one who kind of like told me a little bit in advance that Kyler Murray's contract was basically a done deal, given uh, it was a couple weeks back in July before yeah. the news would officially break. And uh, right. I thought that was cool that you had some level of access that you'd acquire. Yeah, we get, you know, there's some insiders that, that uh, you know, can be trusted over time and who are not credentialed media folk necessarily, you know, and, um, you know, I had a note the other day from, a, uh, one of the ROTB members. He was very nice to give me a private message and said, Hey, Dan Bickley was just reading your article on, on, uh, your recent article on, on, um, sports radio. I said, Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Nice. And, you know, I mean, so some of the media guys are really kind to, you know, us 
you know, yeah, little little guys. Well, um, let me just real add to that real quick. Just interject. Like I la- a couple weeks ago, I create I posted this t- thing on Twitter, sort of a meme. It was a a Cliff Bingo card of uh oh yeah i love quotes that. from yeah. cliff king post you know like the uh i'll have to go watch the tape or you got to give them credit right. or he's dated it was <laughs> something i did for fun that cardinals fans really relate to and um the folks from bickley and Murata, like vince they talked about that on air they mentioned yeah. it and and uh um the the you know uh they they all retweet or i think all they retweeted it um yep. uh, bickley did and uh got a really couple you know uh sarah Cazell who works uh on the show she you know she she's commented on it and gave me a shout out you know on the air for that and 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 uh vince Murata was really kind he 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 said you know sent me a tweet he's like hey, you know good job by the way i watched your video Re- really good stuff and like oh like great. he took time to watch one of my videos like and like you know, for him that was just you know five minutes of his day or whatever. But for me, as someone who's listened to them for a long time, you right. know, and, and knows like that meant the world to me. And like, yeah, sometimes there's just, um, just you know, some of those folks are are great and are kind and get it. And I think, and I'll let you count, but I think there's there's a the ones there's there's a lot of credential media members who do get it and they know not <laughs> that that gatekeeping is a bad look, but but I'll let you. Right. Sorry, I just wanted to throw in that real quick. No, I'm so happy to hear that, and you you so deserve it. And you know the big difference between those guys and us is, you know, we're not making a living at this either. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're basically paying for a lot of the stuff that we do out of our own pocket very willingly and lovingly i mean i you know it's just it's not a this isn't a lucrative event you know venture for any of us unless we reach brett coleman status one day right <laughs> you know um he's doing a really great job I and mean, he's 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 someone to behold as someone who's carved his own niche you know and, and um instead of working the grind for someone else's really done uh, wonders with what you know he can provide and but um you know I, but there are it's interesting because audience is a huge factor and you know the guys on the radio no one needs to pay more attention to audience than those guys and uh, yeah. they are being a little more patient and accepting of fans these days which i really appreciate in the beginning some of them were just like really condescending and were turning fans off and making fun of fans. And, you know, um, nowadays I think, you know, it's in their best interests. And I think, it, you know, they're a little bit more respect for fans than, than what they had in the past. So uh, that's well, a so good Walter, thing. you bring up an interesting point. That was one of the things I wanted to touch on with this topic, which is, I, I I work in radio a little bit, but the thing that I've learned that I still find remarkable is that, you know, an audience can be driven by the atmosphere, like what Joe has built or what I hope people feel like we've built with this podcast and you're writing over Revenge of the Birds and Red Rain and stuff like that. Um, but the, the tried and true thing that people still choose to move towards is access. 
And that is the thing that I guess is gate being gatekeeping by the people in the video from the original Twitter clip, which is access still sells. And the idea yep. of information and access still drives an audience more effectively than, than building something from scratch. And, you know, radio might be podcast now or writing might be a, a website, but it's kind of the same idea is that the, the idea of access is something that people gravitate towards. And even famous people who don't say interesting things will sometimes generate better audiences than, than chemistry in, in conversation and with guests. And so that's something that does feel a little bit gatekeeping. And like you said, I think as time has gone on, it used to be that radio had the audience and people would tune in no matter what. And sports leagues, as time has gone on, have gone in the opposite direction, which is sports leagues used to need the media access to help draw the narratives and sell the sports. And now for the, the, the biggest sports, at least at which what I would argue is football, basketball, baseball, uh, global soccer, even hockey and, and UFC to a certain extent, those sports don't necessarily need to give you as much access anymore because they have the built-in audience already. There's still a role for media, but as time has gone on, I've noticed that like credential media um, is part of telling the stories and working to help sell the product in a way because uh, of a lot of the conflicts of interest between journalists and as time has gone on, especially with football, you're seeing that access in football has become increasingly given to the people who work for the major networks and these leagues have so many resources that they pour money into their own media networks and money into their media partners uh, and that's the, yeah. ac the access is exclusive to people who are partnered with those networks because that's the only access that they have to give in order to right. deliver a thriving product. Right. And I, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I, I think that, that access and opportunity to interact are very um, attractive to fans. Um, you, know, you can't interact all day on sports radio, but you can on Joe's site. You can on ROTV. You you know you, places where they can go and make. You can on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, you know on places, social media places where fans are. You know online. For and, people of a certain age, you can go to TikTok. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. I think it's a great thing. I mean, giving people voices and, and you know, um, engaging in di these dialogues. I mean, I learn so much every time we do it, you know. And, um, you know, that's, I mean, Joe's a, a professor. He knows about audience um, really well. And, you know, some of these guys who were credentialed guys, who don't interact with fans at all really are like professors who just lecture as if, you know, you know, you're sitting there with a bunch of robots. Um, whereas, you know, the, the best professors um, are those who engage the class and turn them into a team. And, um, you know, it's kind of really cool when you look back and you see like the team that, building like joe said you had to build an audience and you know people will come back if you were 
they feel respected and you know they'll take your course again <laughs> like right. they so um that's a really you know and the access is very you know in in our case it's free you know yeah. <laughs> and um that's attractive as well i mean there are a lot of places where they're asking you to you know make a monthly payment or this and that and um you know um some people are fine with that some people aren't but uh but access is a key word kyle you you said it and but also immediate access and immediate availability i mean if we ever wanted to engage in a cardinal conversation we could just go online anytime we want and do it we don't have to tune into a radio show or you know or uh write the arizona republic yeah. yeah, I think you know, Walter, in kind of what you're talking about, I think that you know the the the, the perspective of the the person in the tweet that we're talking about, there is it feels like there's a fundamental lack of understanding of of audiences, and for you know, I, I know we're totally taking shots at this guy who's not here to defend himself, but as someone who's you know he he is educated and he's a professor, I, sadly I would think he would know this better, but understand this better, but like. You know, audiences, I, I think I think of it kind of like this, like audiences don't just want one thing. Think of like media as like the food you eat as a human over the course of a day. Like if, if, if let's say that access, the person who has insider access is a steak. Let's give them credit. They're a nice big steak, right? Of Which is something a lot of people like to eat, right? High of an expensive meal. But you you don't only eat steak in a day if if you eat steak right you you want a salad right. you want breakfast you want lunch you maybe want a dessert you want something to drink like you want a lot of different types of things and i think media consumption for sports fans is very similar they want the insider for nfl network or espn uh, or whoever who's going to give them the scoop they want that that scoop that and that you know and those people they get that's where we get our info from Right. Um, you know, Ian Rappaport will tweet something because he just got the, a tweet or a, a text or a phone call with a GM or, or, right. or a player. And that's information that we get that we depend on. So we absolutely want that. And the, the people you know who are watching that content, they also they want they want someone like Colin Cowherd who's going to give, you know, kind of polarizing, provocative, uh, pontificating on stuff takes. And they want that. But they also want the local beat writer who's going to close to the team and getting local access. They also want the little local sports radio person. And they also want the fan who's got a, a podcast or YouTube channel or writes for a blog who is going to give, who, who covers, like, follows the team very closely, like, who, you know, who knows who the third string tight end is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. Yeah. But, but also cares and, is not having to deal with the filter of their employer. They want all of that. And there's a place for all of that. And when you say, I don't understand why someone would list, get their information from, or even be entertained by a fanboy podcast, you fundamentally do not understand the audience. If you, if you don't understand, if you don't get why anyone would, and I get, if you say you don't get why they get information because they're not insiders, even though I still think, there's analysis that can be done. I try to, I do some analysis that I think I don't see other, like I did a video back in March analyzing quarterback contracts 
and predicting Kyler's oh, yeah. contract number, and I was off by less than five million for his total contract. I know, and I, it, it was amazing, and it was data driven. I did, I did some data analysis right. using numbers that that a lot of media members don't. So, so the idea that you know a, a non-credentialed person can't have insights is is ignorant. <laughs> you don't, but and, and you bring up another great point, which is the best journalism sometimes comes without access that that's mm, yeah. what the most right. the, the the best that's, reported and most independent journalism is great point. you, you have, have to, to innovate information in right if, yeah if you don't have access you have to find other ways to bring value so you have to innovate you have to i have to work harder on teaching myself how to edit my own videos how to make my own graphics how to do data and i have to do data analysis that a person who can just jump on a podcast that's has credentials or or a radio station they don't necessarily have to do that necessarily they have people who do that for them right but yeah so like but that that perspective is just fundamentally not understanding the audience that the audience wants a lot of different type of content and there's room for me and there's room for Ian Rappaport clearly. And there's room for, for everyone in that space. As long as you're bringing value to that audience and you understand that, you know, what you are and what you aren't. Well said. So this is another interesting part that, that I'm now thinking about, which is ultimately it comes down to resources to a certain extent, like we talked about what you guys, <laughs> we're, we're all doing this and not making a living at it. Although I'm building up towards a dream of one day making a living at it, but I don't want to make tons of money at this. I just want to talk about sports and be a dumb person over here while being smart. But I, like, ultimately it comes down to resources. And that's the thing that I believe pretty firmly is that you should be giving resources to independent journalism and then getting out of the way so that the independent journalism can do the, their job. And ultimately that's kind of a broader level conversation about, you know, the state of journalism in America at large. But I think the same thing works in this small little sports space because sports ends up reflecting society a lot of the times, which is, we're doing sometimes the most creative work to a smaller audience. And, you know, it requires a lot of innovation. It requires a lot of hours being put in. It requires coming up with different ideas. Some of the thing that Joe was talking about and what I do when I've done a thousand podcasts and have made 600 jokes on the internet with an Instagram account that has a bunch <laughs> of followers. And, you know, sometimes that's the most creative content you can find. I, you know, when I was younger, I was in this community of, Instagram meme pages that had some of the most creative jokes I could think of. And the best compliment I ever got was that my jokes were too smart for the audience that I was telling them to when I'm saying <laughs> Philip Rivers is this quarterback with this whatever. And I was like, yeah, that makes me feel good. So, you know, sometimes the, the people without the access are, are the most creative because of, like Joe said, you have to find new ways to uh, compete. You have to find new ways to survive and, and generate resources, which if you if you take away those resources, then you're not going to have the same will to continue with that type of content. And at the same time, you're going to see the, the creativity suffer because uh, you have, and this will be a bigger conversation, but you have what's gone on in the last 15 years, which is the NFL has so much money that they've just poured resources into the NFL network, which is essentially a propaganda arm for the league. These people are employed by the NFL. And because they poured so much money into this space and because people like the idea of access, 
Uh, you see NFL Network content as the number one. And if it's not NFL Network, it's ESPN, which is an NFL media partner with obviously infinite resources with Disney and uh, being the number, the, the number one place people go to for sports for 25, 30 years, which is my entire lifetime. Um, you see resources being poured into those entities. And uh, as a result, they're, they're generating the audience and control a lot of the, the, the content in that space because uh, the ESPN and NFL network are the two largest entities covering football and both of them have have those conflicts of interest with the league but they also have access yeah i think too a really important thing for anyone who's trying to build an audience is understanding your audience um you know and and the timing of some of the things you do you know like like Joe's timing on the contract stuff that he did over the, you know, was really um, on spot, you know, on schedule. And, um, there's an article uh, that a guy posted yesterday on raising Arizona, where now he's, he's claiming that, you know, um, it's time to talk about um, Kyler Murray and Isaiah Simmons as being busts. And, I just said to myself, you know, and I, I read the article and I thought he, the guy made good points about Kyler's behavior, which has been an ongoing subject, but coming on the heels of arguably Kyler's and um, Isaiah Simmons's best games of the season where they made um, huge contributions, the timing of that, of this article just seemed like a non sequitur um, and very much out of place. You know, at a different time, it might've been more warmly accepted. And I mean, the backlash that this guy's getting, um, yeah, you hate to see it because I think he's a good writer and, you know, but I think that the timing, I mean, Kyle can tell you, Joe, that he and I did a podcast about Kyler Murray that, I still haven't published. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, it was called Kyler Murray, What If? And I just didn't, you know, Kyle knows this because we discussed it. I didn't publish it at the time because I didn't feel the timing. Uh, at this point, you can run the risk of losing people, you know, losing your audience. And uh, it's a tricky thing, you know. I mean, you don't want to, you know, always spend your time trying to placate your audience. But at the same time, I think you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. What are your thoughts, Joe, on that? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I think like, okay, so when we're talking about credential versus independent, you know, credential media versus independent content creators, I mean, there, there, there's a nugget of truth in like in you know in terms of like the 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 criticisms about independent content creator that there is like you know there isn't that there isn't the same how can I say it there isn't editorial control there isn't editorial guidance in terms of like if you're if you're you know if you work for a media 
organization or newspaper, you have an editor that if you bring them an article that's just a bad idea or isn't going to fly the, or is not well done or is not timely, they, they can say, you know, this, I don't think that we should publish this, right? Um, so there's good and bad, right? The bad is there's also the stymieing of voices and, and you know, and kind of the, the, the censorship in a sense of, you know, not being authentic. But there is also the, you know, the flip side of that, that, yes, any, any, any dude with a computer can start a podcast, start a YouTube channel, or, or start a sports blog. Uh, or getting in and writing with some sports blogs isn't it's not that hard to get in you know uh, with some of them some of them are a little harder to get in with right right um, but so while there isn't that immediate uh, kind of quality control and you do get some stuff out there that's maybe not put out at the right time or miss the mark in terms of timing right. or even I'm not saying the cases with this particular article, but even although I didn't agree with the article, but that's fine. That's fine to disagree. The quality isn't always there. However, um, there is, while there's not that immediate editorial guidance, there is a larger marketplace that is going to judge your content. And if you make bad content consistently, you will lose those audience members like you described, right? If right. you make good content, you will gain and keep an audience, so while there isn't that immediate editorial guidance, there is a large term sort of economic market of content that will judge. And, you know, like I, you know, I, I would say I do things on YouTube. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand the YouTube, what, what everyone calls the algorithm, but YouTube calls the discovery system, which is the key to how you grow a channel on YouTube, make content that YouTube will recommend. And to do that, you have to understand what your audience wants and makes, make the content that will appeal to them and that they will continue to watch. Um, so, you know, if you like the reason I've been able to grow, uh, you know, uh, uh, the audience I have is because I've learned that and I learned how to make sure that I'm making content that the audience wants. Yeah, um, and that that's that's worth their time, you know, to watch. Um, well, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, plus, I mean, we have a very tricky audience: Arizona mm -hmm. Cardinals fans. I mean, I'm surprised this week, for example, after you know breaking the Schneid at home in impressive fashion. You know, there were a number of just um, jump to your feet moments in the Cardinals. Thursday night win against the Saints that we hadn't seen in quite some time. I mean, how often have we seen back-to-back -back pick sixes, you know, Marco Wilson's epic flip into the end zone, um, yeah. you know, looking like Wally at SeaWorld. I mean, we just, there were just so many great highlights. Yet all week, the tenor on the boards is still very, very negative. And, um, you know, to me, to, a bit surprisingly so at this point. I mean, there there was enough reason to get hopeful that, you know, it, it almost felt like the Cardinals had lost the game and were two and five. And But, you know, we're dealing with a paranoid fan base that is so used to getting their hopes crushed that it's a tricky dynamic. I mean, um, a, a, a coaching mentor of mine who was just a brilliant coach and a legendary coach 
once pulled me aside and said, you know, listen, you know, there's, I was like his assistant and at the time, and I was like, coach, you got to lay into these kids. You know, they're not, he goes, well, did we lay into the kids last time in the, at halftime? I said, yeah. He said, then we can't do it again. I said, why? He said, well, you run the risk of losing them. I mean, if you're just going to be negative all the time, you know, um, they'll start drowning you out. And I thought that was tremendous advice. I think it's so true. I don't think, see, we have to kind of carefully, you know, feel the temperature in the room. Um, and we don't want to alienate fans. But, I mean, there's a guy on our board who every day um, gives a laundry list of why the Cardinals suck. And that's basically all he ever does. And I still interact with him and try to, you know, make light with him, you know, um, and that's what he's there to do and this and that. And, but in part, in part, I get it because, you know, it's like a defense mechanism. We've been hurt so many times. And I think the nation's like that too with the Cardinals. I think they want to like the Cardinals, but every time they start liking them and betting on them, you know, the, it's a house of cards, and then they're like, ah, oh, freaking Cardinals. Yeah, you know? I, I've joked that the Cardinals are in this weird space where uh, they're not the, the – there's like 8 to 12 teams that I call like minor league franchises like Detroit, the Jets, even though they're having a good season, like teams that have been bad and they're consistently bad and we know they're bad, like Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, the Cardinals are in that group that's right above that group, which is like they kind of are poorly run, but they're also not so poorly run that they don't have any expectations. And every time someone kind of sniffs around the Cardinals, you're right, something something bad does happen every, every now and again. And, yeah, um, and, you know, the big playoff losses don't help, you know, like this last year's trouncing and then go back to the previous uh, playoff game the Cardinals lost 49 to what was it 13 to the, the Panthers yeah. I mean you know it's just a crush you know sometimes it's just these crushing defeats just when your hopes are highest so I mean you know how do you temper with that Joe I mean you know the, we have a very sensitive fan base how do you yeah that's that's a great question. That's something I've had to wrestle with because you know I we you, as you, you know you recall I, I wrote that that essay that you you were kind enough to publish um, as part of an article about being an optimistic fan, and right? The choice and and I lean towards optimism though this though this season I've I've been a little more critical of some parts of Cliff's play calling. Um, I haven't gone full on fire Cliff like some people, but I've been critical of some things. Yeah. Uh, but I generally lean towards optimistic side and it does, you know, it, 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 it's tough because when I, when I see some of the, the, the really kind of gloom and doom, you know, my initial reaction is, you know, one of maybe a little frustration because I think, Oh, come on, you're, you're having a knee jerk reaction here. Let's, let's have a little bit more nuance here. And, and then I think part of it and something I've really had to kind of wrestle with within myself is, when I read those critical comments, there's something about human nature that when it's a comment on something, your, your video or your article, it feels like a criticism for me, at least towards me. 
right. even though they're talking about the team. And I and right. I think there's just something psychological about that where I've, I've really had to try to, and I still struggle with this sometimes, ra- remind myself that they're not criticizing me, they're criticizing the team, right? Right. Um, and you know what? I, what I what I try to do, especially with live streams post game, right? Um, I try to remind myself that you know every you know this is a this is we're de- this is a communication field, and we're dealing with humans, people, and think about what is it people need and want. And right now, this fan base needs to vent, right? The, right. the, the Cardinals lost. We just we're doing a live stream. They just lost to the Seahawks. Uh, 19 to nine Seahawks, they, the Cardinals offense put up six points on the 32nd ranked defense in the NFL fans need right. to want to vent. So I, I try, I, I've really tried to kind of create more room for people to vent. And as long as they're not being rude towards me or other members of the community, then, and they're just being critical of the team, even though I might, might disagree with them on some points. And I might say why I disagree with them, but uh, you know, I've tried to understand and recognize that, you know, that uh, that you need to allow them space. And and again, I think it it comes back to something I said earlier: is knowing what you are and what you aren't. And I think, like some some folks, you know, who who have what I would say is maybe a problematic view of 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 what media is and isn't, uh, don't understand wh- who they are and what their role is. Like I think some and sometimes people get so uh, enthralled with their own who they are, their own ego, or like, oh, I I create content for the masses to and and I bestow them with the the you know some sort of you know elitist attitude of I make content and the, my audience has the privilege of you know whatever no I'm serving an audience right right I am mm-hmm. not I am not. Uh, the center of the universe. I am someone who's making right. something for people, right? And yes. and trying yeah. to make something that is worth their time. And I and if I do that well, I have the privilege that I'm actually gonna get all the the the, the great things that come from having it on you. Like it's there's a lot of joy right. I get out of having the fact that this many people like to listen to what I have to say is sincerely meaningful to me. Right. Um, it's, it's a privilege. Um, and, and that I understand that I'm providing, I'm providing, I'm meeting a, a want or a need in audiences that they want information and perspective about the Cardinals. And, and, and the fact that they choose to listen to mine is something I should always be appreciative of, not entitled to. So, yeah. So I, I think there's just some fundamental attitudes that I think, um, that, that again, that come to understanding the nature of content and audience that I think some media folks, not all, but some of them don't understand it's, it. And I think it's, I also think I want to kind of add another kind of piece of this conversation here that there's a little bit of a dinosaur kind of element to this, that the, the attitude that was in that, that Twitter, that credential media is the only real media and everything else all these fanboys are just fakes or whatever phonies. It's like, it feels like the dinosaurs when the mammals were starting to emerge, who are, what are all these furry land <laughs> for creatures? Uh, where are their, where are their feathers and scales and 
Uh, these little these little mammals there, and the, oh, those what about those two legged ones over there? They don't even have claws. Like those those two legged upright mammals there with those little sticks they're carrying around, right. they're not going anywhere, right? You know, like like the dinosaurs, if they had the brain capacity, would have thought that about humans, right? And like, and I I think some folks in the quote unquote credential media, and again, not all, I'm sure, I think there's a lot that really do get this, but but certainly the perspective in that tweet, like, doesn't understand like there's this new generation where uh, where content creators are legitimate voices like mm-hmm. you know snapchat tiktok twitter youtube podcast the whole podcast arena like like whereas maybe people from our generations walter your generation mine might under might have grown up in a, an era where there were the, the 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 newspaper writers who were the authorities and and the radio personalities and TV personalities the authorities, and there was a big distinction between them and anyone doing something different. Like the generations that are more you know Kyle's generation and thereafter are growing up where voices like PewDiePie, right? And, yeah. and well, <laughs> you know whether you like him or not, but you know, but like there's these yeah. ma- there's these content creators that built their own thing on YouTube or, or Twitch or wherever that are like authoritative voices. Right. I, um, I have a term for this, Joe, exactly yeah, what yeah. you're talking about. And uh, I call it the democratization of content, yeah. which is, right. it's more of, it's not perfect because, you know, algorithms exist and you could argue that now like Mark Zuckerberg is the gatekeeper, but <laughs> right. it's more, it's more of a democracy of content because everyone has access to social media and because everyone has access to some form of a platform. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the people on the platforms will decide what the best content is more than the, the quote unquote gatekeepers who decide who gets a credential, who gets the, the airtime, who gets a platform. And that still exists because you haven't removed the platform altogether. I know people say radio is a dying art or podcast is a dying art, but, you know, the form still exists and, and will exist in some capacity. It's it's just it's more of a democracy because anyone can enter the space. Not everyone can thrive in the space, but ultimately it will be closer to a democracy because of uh the fact that any there the, the barriers to entry have been removed significantly in my lifetime because anyone can make a YouTube channel, anyone can make a TikTok account, anyone I made an Instagram account and at one point had fifty thousand followers. So anyone can enter this space. Not everyone can thrive in this space, but right. um, it, it's just more of a democracy of content than it's been in the past. And some of it's going to be yeah. bad content, but you know who else makes bad content? Credentialed media members sometimes <laughs> right. make bad content. Like that's. I want to speak to that algorithm real quick. Sorry. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. like the algorithm, you know, and you're, there's a valid critique that, you know, people like Zuckerberg or, or whoever the powers that be have swam it and it's not perfect. No doubt. Um, at the same time, for whatever potential flaws might be within that, like, you know, again, I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to understand the YouTube discovery system and listen to any source I can that will talk about that. And, um, those algorithms, because, you know, YouTube wants people to watch content and keep watching content. 
and they want you know someone to, they they will prior to if someone watches a video and watches it all the way through and then watches another video from that channel because they liked it because they were satisfied that's going to feed the algorithm right so like those algorithms for all the flaws you might say with them are all designed for the most part about trying to you know find the best content that that viewer or listener will want to continue to watch so the bottom line is if you want to succeed on YouTube, for example, you need to make content that people, you have to have a good thumbnail that will get people to click. But if you, if the content isn't good and they stop watching, you know, a few seconds in or a minute in of a, of an eight minute video, then your stuff won't be recommended. So like in the end, those algorithms are all designed to seek out and recommend good content or content that, by good, I mean that the audience wants to watch. Right. Right. So it, it kind of reinforces a democratization that you're talking about because the reason Brett Coleman has approaching 400,000 subscribers, I think, uh, as an independent content creator is because he made content that is good, <laughs> that people yeah. want to watch. Right. Yeah. And so that you're absolutely right. It, 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 in many ways, it did level the playing field that that a, an independent person can build an audience bigger than a credential media member if they're doing good work. Right. Yeah. I, I would also add to that point, like Brett Coleman also was doing it at a time when there were not a lot of people doing it. And that's a, right. that's a level of luck that goes into it too. That is seeing that YouTube was a, a, a space to move. Like for myself with Instagram, like, Instagram in 2015 was promoting the type of content that I was making, which was just a bunch of silly football jokes on the internet. They were promoting that type of content and people who are similar to me. I joked that at one point I got to be like the 16th largest Instagram meme page talking about sports, but at a certain point they just stopped engaging in that content. The algorithm changed. They didn't really want that type of content to be the thing that went viral. And then, uh, all of the I, all my friends from these accounts have talked about like, yeah, we don't grow anymore, but that's because Instagram isn't adding new people or adding new followers. But in the YouTube space, YouTube is promoting that type of content. And, and right. like you said, it's, it's a game of trying to figure out algorithms if you're motivated to, you know, if your motivation is to continue growing your audience, which everyone wants to grow their audience, but it, it just depends how much time and effort gets invested into it. And yeah. You know, the part about resources is always important. The more resources you have, the better your content will look, and therefore it becomes a, a larger audience. And uh, if you if you compensate people more, they will sometimes work to do better content. Now, whether that's compensating them with money or compensating them with just love and joy of the work that they do, the more people mm. are compensated, the more they will want to do a better job. And so... Right. Uh, that's that's something that's also aligned the thread is like independent content creators are making not enough to make a living but if this is a side job to you know working as a professor or in the case right. of walter as a former high school teacher then it, it's a great space to find yourself in and and it brings joy and it's a side project and it's something to to enjoy doing as your time or for yeah. myself, just turning on the microphone and talking for 45 minutes a day for three years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think you talk about like the, the new spaces that emerge and 
Yeah, I mean, there's something and how Brett Coleman, part of what allowed him to get successful is he was kind of one of the first people to do that. And, you know, being kind of, you know, early adopter and being early into a space is beneficial. I mean, like being one of it's it's it reminds me of um, if you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, he kind of talks about that, how, you know, some people who've been very successful, part of that success has been the right time and place, you know, being like, you know, Bill Gates worked hard, but he also was born in the right time and place to have, and had the right access when computers and right. was doing his thing when computer kind of revolution sort of blew up. Right. Um, Brett Coleman did great work and worked hard and also had, you know, worked for the NFL network. Um, so he had the skill set and then went out on his own and, all that hard work and skill and talent he had also kind of, you know, kind of coalesced with doing it at the right time. Right. Um, So absolutely there's something to that. And, you know, and then, yeah. And you have to kind of, if you're in one, one content space, like if you build an audience in one, one medium and then it kind of plateaus the medium as a whole, you know, you have to either just have built enough, that you can sustain it there or you have to expand. And, and a lot of content creators understand that and are multi-platform. Like I've, for example, recently put more time and effort into growing my Twitter audience. Um, you know, and I, I, I went from 200 uh, followers, you know, now I'm over, a little over a thousand, which is not a ton, but um, you know, I put more time into doing that because I understand that you want to kind of diversify your platform a little bit. Um, so that's all part of it. I want to kind of bring up one other thing from, I watched a YouTube video that talked about success and he, they referenced, they had a person speaking on it who wrote a book. I haven't listened to the, or the audio or read the book, I should say. Uh, and, uh, but it's called the third door. And he talked about, he made a point in the context of this YouTube video about people who are successful. And he talked about how there's kind of three doors that people go through. There's the front door. He, he called it, he compared it to like a night call. Like there's the front door where everyone lines up to get in, right. And pays their dues and waits their turn. And then there's a VIP access door in the back door for people who are, you know, who are privileged enough to have that. Right. And, and success in life, you know, becoming, let's say, you know, a, a media member, right. You've got the front door, the people who go get a journalism degree, do their time working, maybe become a beat writer, get a credential and, and, you know, and, and experience success. And they, they waited in line, quote, quote, pay, play their turn. And then you have the back, the, the backdoor VIP entrance and not trying to take a shot at it, but like Chris Collinsworth's son, right. Is, is doing media stuff. And I'm right. sure he, he put in work, but he also had, <laughs> uh, you know, connections, right. So he had sort of that VIP door, but this third door is, that a lot of people who are successful, they find another door, right? They, they, they find this third, there's always a third way in, so to speak, right? That, and it's, and he gives this example of Steven Spielberg, who became a director, not by, you know, the conventional ways, but by sneaking onto a lot and then just going there all the time and running coffee and sitting and learning and whatever, right? I call I call it P Diddying, like you know P Diddy, like you know yeah. he worked his way up by just you know just hanging out and and doing learning whatever he could and and I think this content creator space is is sort of the quintessential third door, right? You've got 
the 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 folks like the media credential media folks who go the, through the front door, the people who are, you know, either because they're former athletes or family members of athletes who that are have are ushered into a job because of who they are or their connections, but then you have people who come from this the side third door who are making their way into the space and whether they have a small audience like I do or they build a big audience like Brett Coleman does or what have you, you know, there, there's, there's something that I think is to be respected about, about people who, who are, are trying to find a creative way to be part of that space, work hard, you know, find that third door. And, and in some t- cases are very innovative in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to Mountain Gladwell, um, the other great point he made in that book, one of many was the 10,000 hour rule. Is that, you know, I mean, you want to be good at something, put in 10,000 hours and chances are you're going to be great at it. Um, Did we lose, did we lose you, Walter? In that, yeah, sorry about that. Can I keep going? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. One of the great analogies he made was uh, the Beatles, um, before hitting big time, played every night in Germany for like, what was it, a year and a half? And it not only got them so tight as a band, but because they didn't want to play the same songs over and over, it inspired them to write and be writing news coming up with new stuff all the time you know so when joe highlighted the right place right time you know with uh you know uh bill gates growing up right down the street from one of the three available public computers in the country at the time you know um it also you know credentialed or non-credentialed if you've spent a lot of time you know i mean i I've been blogging for 20 years before I got the Revenge of the Bird Birds, uh, you know, um, gig. And, you know, I was very grateful about that. But, um, you know, if you put in the time, um, chances are you learn the, the tricks of the trade pretty well. And you learn about audiences, you learn about these things and, and uh, can, you know, keep a good gauge on the temperature of your audience to know, you know, what, what they're feeling and, you know, it can work out. You know, we, we got one reference to the Beatles of finding a third door. We got one with P Diddy and finding the third door. So I feel like because <laughs> I, I represent the, uh, the, the, the young people in the group, I feel like I have to bring one of these stories to the table. Yes. Um, that, that breach, that make, that completes the generation gap here, shall we say. So, I'm going to go with the story of Lil Nas X because it's an awesome one. Um, (laughs) Basically, Lil Nas X is from Georgia and he would go, um, basically he would record for like open sessions at a studio and pay like $30 to go record. And that first song that went viral for him, which was the Old Town Road song, that was the first TikTok trend. That was the very earliest, earliest days of TikTok. And because he got in at, you know, 2018, which is the equivalent of Brett Coleman starting a YouTube channel in 2011, 
where there's not a lot of people on this platform, but it was about to become right. the most popular social media platform. All of a sudden, he he gets in the door with that. And then ever since then, he's released two studio albums and he's the third highest selling artist on Spotify right now. And that happens all within four years because his way of finding that extra door was yep. just posting his video and his song on TikTok over and over and over again into the beyond. And then eventually getting his foot in the door by having it become the first viral TikTok trend. And so people have tried to replicate that since to some level of success. You could point to like stories like Doja Cat at the start of the pandemic, but it hasn't been that because TikTok is now kind of the mainstream and the, the foot in the door is more difficult because more people are posting content on there. And so right. it's that same idea, just finding a way in, finding a third door to to get into get into the space and maybe it won't make you the the third highest grossing artist in the world but it will give you some sort of space within this weird i guess it would be the cultural um marketplace is a good word for it but yeah marketplace? i guess it's a it's it's a marketplace economically and you'll like make yeah. money from it i was thinking of like everyone's competing to have some sort of legacy within this cultural mm. space like well let me just say have an audience there coming from a sociological perspective when you think marketplaces it's not just economic monetary things there's you know their status is a thing that we compete for you know, mm -hmm. uh, influence. So I, I think, it, I think it's so quite a mark. I think marketplace fits because what legacy is something you're competing for, right. Which is a sort of a variant of status, right. So you're competing for that, that's that in that marketplace of other people who also want that status. I want your, I think your example has one other element to it. That's absolutely relevant to what we're talking about because I, I, I I've watched something about, uh, that was talking about country music versus kind of R and B music and their, how they started actually from a similar starting point and then branched off and, and historic socio historically how they branched off. And in the, the context of this video that they were talking about, they talked about little Nas X and um, how he, he also faced a lot of gatekeeping with the country music industry right mm -hmm. because his yeah. stuff is 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 kind of this intersection a hybrid of country and hip hop sort of um and um so his his stuff has become very popular with with both audiences but the country music gatekeepers the radio stations and the industry very much you know kind of gave him the cold shoulder but he still endured and found this third door mm -hmm. Yeah. And a big part of that is also just that the gatekeeping within country music is, has been for years universally tied to race as well. And so <laughs> that played a big part of that. And then, you know, the kind of backdoor way for him was this guy, Billy Ray Cyrus, who used to be a famous country music star was like, Hey, I will collaborate with him because now all of a sudden this is a country music song, right? I'm singing it. I'm doing mm -hmm. tours with him. This is country music, right? And that kind of was the backdoor way of getting onto country music stations and country music rankings because it was the number one song for, at the time, I think it was like 27 consecutive weeks or something like that. And mm. it was just a, a, a big picture issue of something that 
you know, happens all the time on smaller scales in, in music and sports and a lot of these like cultural genres, which I have another football related point, but did you have anything else you wanted to add from the music and trying to find your way into this space from, from either of you? I think we, from my perspective, we hit on a lot of, I think the key ideas, I think that's, and I think the examples both of you presented really, really uh, help fill that out. Well, and the music examples are key because not every musician gets a degree from Berkeley School of Music. I mean, there you go. You can uh, jump right in if you got the talent and got you have what audiences want to hear. That's why they have all those shows like The Voice and you know American Idol and stuff, and it's awesome. You know, I mean, so here's three cheers for the little guy who you know takes advantage of opportunities that you know we have like joke and kyle highlighted a key word access we have now in this wonderful age of ours the access to make ourselves visible and to make ourselves heard and to um you know uh cast out a social web of filament 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 for my pal walt whitman um till the ductile anchor holds um it's just awesome and you know there's just so much potential for all of it but i i love what joe said too about there's room for everyone i mean anytime you have people interested in a subject or music or you know that you can build a build a community like joe has done and like kyle has done and like i've been trying to do it Revenge of the Birds, and uh, I love what Joe said too about you get when you build that community, you get the the joys that come with it. And uh, yes, there are lots of hills and valleys, and you know you got to take on some of the toughest trolls imaginable sometimes. But you know, um, understanding that and how those dynamics work too is really helpful and. Yeah, it's it's just such a great topic. Um, I'm really glad that that Joe um, drew drew our attention to that video of the lockdown. Um, I had an experience with a lockdown for Cardinals, where they yeah. um, they took an article of mine and read from it verbatim and never credited me. Oh so boy! <laughs> I um, contacted them. And uh, I get kind of this snobby attitude. Like, well, we didn't really know. We thought it was a PFF article. I said, well, it's your job to know. And, you know, this is plagiarism. And uh, when I'm back and forth, really got kind of a pissy attitude from, um, you know, so, <laughs> I mean, later I was able to smooth things out with one of the guys on there and, um, we came to a reasonable conclusion, but, uh, you know, it's, that's the other thing is anytime you're going to get in the information, um, business, you better cite your sources, right? Professor. Yeah, that's right. I fail kids for listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so this actually leads into the last point I wanted to, to touch on, which is I've been disappointed for years now that, 
the the primary modes of NFL access come from ESPN and NFL Network because of the fact that one is a propaganda arm for the NFL and one is, has conflicts of interest from media partnerships. While I also recognize they have the most resources by far. And I know like NBC Sports does content and CBS Sports is also in this space. They're also league partners, but they're, they don't have the same audiences of sorts. I know Pro Football Talk kind of operates in this space a little bit. And Mike Florio, because most of his reporting comes from writing, I would say that he's closer to a journalist in some sense, but there's obviously conflicts of interest there. Um, but right. I also know that they have the most resources, and this is what the NFL has been, made a concerted effort to do over the last 15 years, which is pour money into the NFL network and have their media partners spend a whole bunch of money on content. So I guess my question is, like, how do you kind of thread the needle between wanting independent access and information while also recognizing that because they have the most resources, they're going to have some of the more prevalent NFL content and more of a, an influence on what, you know, maybe someone who doesn't have the same level of interest in sports media spaces, like just someone who might be a casual fan, just looking for information. Right. Like how do you kind of thread that line between those those media entities plus wanting independent information entertainment and stuff that doesn't have the same conflicts of interest um you know from my perspective i, I again i look at like as uh, I've, we've used this term a few times a marketplace and you know what it just like in it's you know it, you're kind of like running a business in a sense when you're trying to do content or you're an entrepreneur and you're looking at a marketplace and you're trying to find gaps in the marketplace, right? And and trying to fill those gaps to meet a demand. I mean, it really is business, a mindset that you have to go in to, to kind of do this. And that, like when I launched my channel, I looked at who were, what's out there. And I had an idea of the space I wanted to fill, right? I wanted to kind of do something that was a little bit kind of like PFF with some of the data stuff, maybe a little bit like Brett Coleman looking at some of the film, but being specific to the Cardinals because there wasn't anyone creating YouTube content that was like that for the Cardinals. There were a few content creators that more just kind of were the podcast style conversations and, and, you know, general analysis or whatever you want to call it. And so what you, you do is like you, you recognize, okay, well, what what do these big networks have? Okay, they do have access to players, coaches, and insiders. So they have, so what they will have is they will have information quicker than I will have it. Okay, that's fair. But that, but with Twitter, that information has become so ubiquitous. Yeah, they'll they'll break the story about the player the Cardinals just signed or traded for. But I can jump on and within two hours, record, edit, and put out a video that I can go look at PFF and ESPN and get all the data and put together a, a breakdown of who this player is statistically and performance wise, where they came from. And then as someone who follows the team, I can talk about how they fit in the scheme and system. And I can get that video out in a fairly timely manner because that in, in the internet age, that information, the right. data is so quick that, yeah, 
I didn't break the story that they that they signed whoever, but I was the first person to give you a video talking about wh- how that person really fits into the team. Now, ESPN might talk about that, but here's the other thing that I've learned and understand. Um, Analyst X for ESPN is a full-time person and has more experience than I do, but they also have to cover 32 teams. And And they, they, it's just humanly, it's very difficult (laughs) if you're trying, you know, like it's just a matter of volume. Like they can't, get into the granular level of covering the Cardinals and knowing the depth chart on tight end, (laughs) you know, like I mentioned, like I do because, and that's not because they're bad at what they do. It's because they have to cover 32 teams. I focus on one. So knowing the, what I offer in the marketplace is that, okay, I can offer the people who watch Watch my my channel, someone who follows the team only this well i mean i follow the league but follows this team much closer than an espn person does typically unless it's you know their local person right uh because i only have to worry about the one team for the most part um and then also knowing that like like listen that that the the mass media kind of espn model um, it is for it is kind of this um, how can I say it? homogenized kind of general lowest common denominator basic analysis because that's what mass audiences want. But I can get in and do a little more specialized talking about grades and more in depth stuff that doesn't play to the mass audience as well, maybe or that at least the, the big you know how it is like you know the, the McDonaldization they're going to give you the very uh, kind of basic kind of stuff. Uh, because the the really when you get to the granular stuff that's much for more of a niche audience. Well, I can cater to that niche audience, and that niche audience is big enough to sustain my channel. You know, um, so what you do is you you look at that marketplace and you say, "Where's the need, and what can I fit in?" Well, what I can offer is that deep dive analysis for the Cardinals. That if you're watching ESPN, you might get that once a month. Yeah, once, or you know, I'm saying once a month. On one cha- on one of their shows, someone might take a, f- a three minute segment and dive into one thing about the Cardinals at a deep level, but everything else you're getting is box scores and general commentary. I can give you on a weekly basis someone who cares enough, who dives into the stats and gives you the grades and breaks down in a much deeper level that ESPN for all the resources is not getting in it as deep as I am on a consistent basis. What I'm finding fascinating about ESPN these days and in other, um, you know, uh, in other stations, uh, how willingly now um, some of the commenters are, the analysts are to let us know who their teams are. Um, Now it annoys me on ESPN because everything's Cowboys, Cowboys, Cowboys. And they're not even one of the, you know, I mean, come on, man. Yeah, so, but they, they've talked about that I before. Mean, like, y'all tune in to watch the Cowboys. Uh, it's unbelievable. Biggest- Every <laughs> show has a Cowboys segment. And Marcus Spears is, you know, he's a former Cowboy. And he's, you know, circling the, the wagons every day. And, you know, uh, but they're, in the past, these guys were supposed to be sort of impartial and know all the teams and, you know, uh, and, and kind of roll with the team of the moment, you know. Um, but uh, 
and then like Kevin Nagandi, he's an Eagles fan. You know, I I love the way he he mixes it up. And Ryan Clark delivered an emotional um, message to the Steelers two weeks ago on uh, NFL Live. I was like like unbelievable. It was like a you know telling him he thought they quit in their in their game and how uh, disturbing that was to him as a former player who lost part of a, a liver or something on a hit that he made um, for the Steelers and the pride that he took. The next week they went out and beat the Bucks, <laughs> And I, I would imagine that that speech got back to the Steelers. And he prefaced it by saying that Mike Tomlin's my favorite coach. But this players, you know, it was directed towards the players. So I think even those pundits and commentators and analysts are approaching this from the kind of personal angle, fan angle. And in some ways, I think it's good. You know, I, you know, we all have our teams and it's not. It, where it really gets irksome, though, is when, you know, uh, the Cowboys get all this attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, the, the, there are three okay. national teams. There, there for a national show. There are three national teams that they say will always do ratings: Cowboys, Patriots, and Forty ers And uh, those are the national teams with fans from coast to coast. Every, other teams are more regional. I know Walters in, in Massachusetts. Joe is in Georgia, and the Cardinals play in Arizona. But for the most part, yeah. the national teams you're going to find are Dallas and. New England and San Francisco and the ratings bear that out. And also Jimmy Garoppolo is the only backup quarterback that's ever gotten a national subway commercial. Well, this is, um, (laughs) this is one of the, the one it's when you have a big entity, there's, there's, I mean, everything has pros and cons. And one of the drawbacks is it, because there's so much invested that they have to chase after the big ratings because there's so much money involved. There's a parallel to the movie industry, like big studios. There's a reason that the big studios tend to put out very, very kind of formulaic, you know, you know, Marvel cinematic universe kind of stuff. That's very predictable and not very innovative because that's what works to make lots of money and they invest a lot of money in those movies and they have to recoup it. So they chase what will get them the big box office numbers. The best, most innovative film, innovative films come from more smaller uh, studios or independent. That's where, where, you know, you have to take a risk or find or do something no one else is doing to be successful so that drives innovation. Well, the content creation space around sports is similar, right? ESPN has to chase those massive mark numbers in terms of viewership. So what do they do? Well, yeah, they talk about the Cowboys and, and other teams that will get the ratings that move the needle. I get it. It's and, and they're beholden to that. And it's frustrating for fans of teams that aren't big in that marketplace like that or the on the national scene but at the same time that creates opportunities for people like me right you know that i don't have i like i said earlier a niche audience is enough to sustain what i'm trying to do right i don't need the big audience i I like the like espn does you know i'm saying like like the arizona cardinals youtube channel has i look at it has like uh 68.9 
thousand subscribers. If I got even half of that size, like I would be ecstatic, right? That would be that would be very very successful for the space I'm in. For ESPN, uh, that is a really bad episode of any one show, right? You have to get <laughs> 60, 68,000 views would be you know really bad, right? So. Um, you know, it, it, so there, there's there's advantages and disadvantages, and I understand why they cover the Cowboys so much, and that's also why I don't watch them much, you know, <laughs> um, and that, that just creates an opportunity for folks like us. You should have seen yesterday when uh, Jeff Darlington announced the Eagles trade for Robert Quinn. They panned over to Marcus Spears, Swagoo, and he was livid. I mean, he was just like, and then he threw a conniption, and then you know, uh, and was just uh, you know rolling his eyes. Entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, as a fan would react. I mean, I wasn't psyched to hear that news. Uh, you know, the Eagles have done everything this off season to make any team jealous and they're just adding more and more onto it. And, uh, you know, um, as I wrote today, they're acting like a team whose Super Bowl is in their own building this year. <laughs> that was a little dig. Yeah, I got it. It's in Arizona this year. Yeah, For people is. listening at home, the Super Bowl's in Arizona this year, and the Cardinals are worse than the Seahawks so far this year. Right. That's and, what's uh, so mystifying to me is that how often do you get this? And and the the, the you know that the the Bucks won in theirs, the Rams won in theirs, and now the Cardinals turn, and we have this kind of an off season. I mean, it's just don't like, don't worry. It's it's in Vegas the year after, so I think the trend's okay. gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to, Walter. There's something I want that just occurred to me. What you said about the the thing about you know the 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 uh, the trade and going to Spears and that fan reaction. It's interesting because I I have noticed it looks like the big like ESPN in particular, and is sort of trying to adopt some things from the content creator space and right. trying to fit. And you see, I think you see this all the time with when you have a big, you know uh, when you have like the, the big monop monopolies or big time uh, players in a marketplace. And then you have the smaller mark players in the marketplace. The innovations come from the smaller players, but the big players try to adopt that. But when they do, it ends up becoming very, um, you know, kind of, uh, again, homogenized. And right. Things. Walter knows that. He roots yeah. for the Oakland Athletics. That's been the right. story the last 25 years. <laughs> right. We'll have to talk about that more because I was an Oakland A's fan for a long time living in, in uh, Northern California when I was a kid. But, um, All right. But like, yeah, but like Ricky Henderson was like my favorite. But, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But like the, the kind of the, the point I want to get to here is one of the things I've noticed and just looking like when I go to ESPN, I notice these little segment clips they'll show and they, they title them very much in those kind of clickbait sort of titles that you see 
like, you know, uh, Stephen A. Smith gets heated talking to Mad Dog about whatever. And they right. I've se- they always say gets heated or gets livid or right. And like they, 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 they these segments they, they put you see them on YouTube uh, our ESPN's front page, right? And it's just a, it's it's a link to a short segment. And like that's right out of the YouTube playbook, right? Have 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 clickbait titles that oh such, right. you know it's something that's going to get someone to click. It's a short segment, so it's interesting to me to see how you know ESPN is is trying to adopt some of those things, you know that that are working in content career spaces, and in a the the connection to what what you pointed out is I think that fan you know them emphasizing the fandoms of the 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 analysts um and their reactions as fans i don't think that's like just happening organically i think that's intentional that you know i think i i i I don't have inside information on this because i'm not credential or insider but i suspect that that's intentional hey you know let's 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 let our fandom show a little more i think this is good for ratings audiences like that so yes you can talk about being an eagles fan or a cowboys fan and and we can lean into that a little more because this works in content creation spaces so right it, it's just one of those interesting observations i i'm seeing about how they're adopting some of those things that are, are coming through from the innovations of the independent creators yeah that's a great point <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you know, but if, if 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 like cultural innovations come at grassroots level, but then they become adopted by big corporations. I always talk yeah. about like in like the example I give in, when I'm teaching about kind of that in in class. I talk about fashion and like I'm I'm old enough. I remember when skinny jeans the kind of first kind of became popular back in the I don't know late '90s, early 2000s. Skinny jeans originally it was like punk rock and indie and uh, emo kids, boys would buy women's jeans and wear them because they were cut differently. And it started out as men buying women's jeans and wearing them, and they were very tight and skinny. And it was sort of this fat, innovative fashion statement amongst kind of indie kids. But then it got adopted by the fashion industry, and then companies started making jeans for men that were cut that way, right? And then skinny jeans became a thing. Right? right, but it started with a cultural innovation by the youth, right? The ind- independent sort of cultural innovation, and then it becomes uh, adopted by the big industries. And you s- you see that in all kinds of fields, and I think you see that in the content creation space with ESPN adopting those things. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am with you on that. And you can see it through pretty much any industry. I mean, when when people realize they have an opportunity to make money off this good idea, then it usually gets adopted in the, the broader macro sense. I mean, right. if, if people want a sports example too, the air raid offense, there's a great book that was written <laughs> about that. Go see what the air raid offense is doing at D3 schools. And then the entire Big 12 ran it for an entire decade. And now Andy Reid picks parts of that up from the air raid system and turns it into what the Kansas City Chiefs offense is. And there's like a 40-year, not quite linear, but a very easy arc you can find there. I know Joe has to go because he has a day job. But (laughs) um, anything else that uh, you guys would like to add before we close? 
I'll just say that I always enjoy talking to you gentlemen. It's just, it's always enlightening for, to hear your sp- perspectives. Uh, so yeah, this has been a joy. Ditto Joe. It's always great to talk with you and Kyle and, you know, it's, uh, I thought such a great topic today and I really felt, uh, this was a awesome opportunity to discuss it. I'm very pleased with what we were able to discuss. So thank you to Kyle. The Little Rock, sorry about your Padres, was rooting like crazy for him. <laughs> but, you know, so, sooner or later, someone had to play the Astros and doesn't look like they're ever going to lose a game. So. You know what? I, I set my I, – as, as a weird – because I'm not much of a sports fan anymore. I don't have a lot of teams that I really invest in. But I set the expectations at zero so that I couldn't be disappointed. It was maximum pleasure, <laughs> minimum pain. By saying that we don't belong here, we're losers, and that's how I, I made it a little bit more okay when Bryce Harper's hitting home runs in Game Five. I'm well, okay as, with as it. Cardinals fans, we totally <laughs> understand and commiserate. Yeah, <laughs> yes, there, totally. there's a home for you with the Cardinals fandom if yeah. you ever need it. I, I assure well, you that. Yeah, we are losers. <laughs> I grew up rooting for the Padres. I live in Sacramento and cover the Kings now. I guess. Technically speaking, I am the, the one here who has a quote-unquote media credential, but the only credential is in case I ever have to get into the Golden One Center. So technically, that counts as a credential, but it's only if I have to, like, hold a camera for someone. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm in Sacramento, and I rooted for the Padres. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely – and I grew up a Chargers fan, so we're definitely Oof. in the commiserating group, shall we say, the, the group of losers <laughs> in sports. Right. <laughs> uh, thanks again, you guys. Always much appreciated. We'll chat again soon. Have a great day, guys. Thank Take you. Care.